Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 18 of Pigskins and Nylon. I'm Wally Lukashensky, and I'm joined once again by my great friends and co-hosts, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. Today is September 2nd, and college football is back. We have a whole bunch to talk about. Brett Bielma got his first win as an Illinois head coach. Nebraska and their program are in their darkest hour. And we look ahead to our first full weekend slate, which includes four Big Ten matchups. But first, let's say hello to the boys. Hayden, Casey, how are you guys doing? And are you ready for some football? Absolutely ready for some football. Couldn't be more excited for this weekend. Get to watch some games with you boys. Yeah, I mean, ready to get these picks rolling. Can't wait to beat you guys on that this week. And Hayden, how are you doing over there? You went 3-0 and on your picks this last weekend. Oh, man, I'm on top of the world. I was so fired up that... Brett Bielema and the Fighting Illini got me to 3-0 and this weekend, taking the early lead in our uh, season-long betting totals. Other than that, I'm just, I'm really, really excited. I say opens up tomorrow, and I, I honestly, it's so weird. Like, it doesn't even seem like it's real because it's a Thursday night. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm really excited for the game, but it doesn't seem obviously normal. I'm also excited. We have a Another game on Friday. Wally will be able to come to that, hang out, check it out. We, we've we had a much, much better week of practice compared to last week. So I'm a little more confident than I was last week. And I'm definitely, ask my wife, I'm not as grumpy this week as I was last week. So that's always good. And I'm really excited for those of you who obviously probably don't know. Wally and Casey will be up here this weekend. For opening weekend, we'll be able to watch a bunch of football, probably drink a few adult beverages, and hopefully just relax the entire time. So that'll be real fun. We'll be definitely having some of those adult pops this weekend, which will be fun. Excited to watch you and your, what, Arcadia football team play tomorrow night. Should be, or Friday night, I guess. So I guess it'll be tomorrow for the people listening at home. So I'm really excited to see you guys. It's a really fun weekend for me, too. I got to drive up to Badger Country, where one of my buddies was having his bachelor party weekend. That was a lot of fun. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see a ton of the game live. I did manage to get to see the first half at the time. So this week, finally get to sit down with the purpose of just watching college football. And that's going to be beautiful. We have three straight days of it. Like you said, we got Rutgers at 6.30 on Thursday night. Ohio State, Minnesota at 8. Then you follow that up with Northwestern Michigan State at 9 the following day, or 8, whatever it is. We'll get to that. And then, of course, that Saturday slate, jam-packed full of games. And then, naturally, we'll get a little, what, West Coast action for that 10 o'clock slate. It's going to be a great weekend, guys. I'm so fired up to see you. I'm, like, really, really excited and for a couple games. And I know we're, we're going to get into them, so I won't talk about them a ton. But that Penn State-Wisconsin game is going to be very, very good, I think. Uh, I'm really, really excited for that. That should be a really good one. But outside of the Big Ten, I'm really excited for the Clemson-Georgia game. I think that game could be, like, amazing to watch. And just with the implications that it could have, like, this early in the season, really brings it's, – it's what college football is about, man. It's, it's, it's neat. It, it really is. I love these giant marquee non-conference matchups at the beginning of the year. Hopefully, you know how we were talking about it about a couple months ago with the expansion talk. Really don't hope they go away in the future because 
it just adds a little bit of something extra. For a long time, we didn't have what August or September matchups really matter. So this is kind of a lot of fun, but definitely going to get into those big games or big 10 games, especially here. But yeah, we'll be keeping our eyes closely on that Clemson Georgia game as well. But what do you guys say? We jump right into a couple topics real quick. Let's do it. Casey's former Michigan Wolverines, Jim Harbaugh names, junior quarterback, came Cade McNamara. <laughs> I can't do it. It's going to be McNamara, McNamara, whoever you want to get it. He's going to be the starting quarterback. Five-star J.J. McCarthy's going to have to wait his turn. Harbaugh cited both the consistency and the improvements made throughout the entire camp and offseason process in it. Then a Nevada native played in four games last year. And to credit to him, once he did take over for Joe Milton, he looked halfway decent doing so. Went, what, for 43 of 71 425, five touchdowns, no interceptions last year. Guy he did replace, going to be the starting quarterback at Tennessee. What are your guys' thoughts when you heard the news? I know, Casey, you originally were talking about you wish that they just threw the five-star freshman to the fire, let him learn on the fly. Now that you heard this, are you at least a little bit more optimistic that the junior must have looked really good at camp? Or where's your head at? So initially, I thought that this was just a safe route. I think in the few snaps that we've seen of Cade, he really took care of the football, and I think that that is something that obviously any any head coach, any offensive coordinator really really likes in their offense. You know, Joe Milton last year threw, I think he was like four touchdowns to five interceptions or something like that. So while he, you know, does have a big arm and such, he wasn't making good decisions with the ball. And I, I think Cade, while he's nothing special, will take care of the football at least and hopefully we see Michigan stretching the ball down the field a little bit. I don't I mean personally don't think they had the receivers to do it, but I'd like to see them at least try it this year. Their offense was very uh, bland last year in my opinion. Now Hayden, I know you're not a Michigan fan, but when you saw the news, what were your key takeaways? I think I've talked about this at least twice on this podcast and outside of this podcast I've talked about it a bunch. If I were a Michigan fan, or if I were Jim Harbaugh, I think I would go with the young guy. I think that provides, and I'm not going to go into it because we've already talked about it. I think it provides cover, and it gives him that extra year of experience. So when he is a sophomore and when he is a junior, he already you know has all those reps under his belt. I think it would pay dividends while, while giving Jim Harbaugh cover for however the season may go. Like Casey said, McNamara is... You know, not anything special. He's not horrible, but he's not he's not the game changer at quarterback that I think Michigan fans are are hoping that McCarthy will be. I don't know. I I I agree with Casey. I do think it's a safe route. I would just prefer the alternative if I were a Michigan fan. I agree with both of you, and I won't harp on it long because you guys already said it. we have talked about this before. I am a big fan of letting a young guy, especially with that much talent. Learn on the fly. Let him make those mistakes, especially early in the year. He will grow through that. And at the end of the day, this isn't a Michigan team that's going to be playing probably for a Big Ten title or playing for anything beyond that this year. So because of that, why not at least let your guys grow in season instead of sitting back and, I guess, not having those meaningful reps during the year? But we'll see. Maybe, I mean, we, we have to point out that once he came in last year, that Michigan offense looked much better than it had under Milton. 
So maybe he does take another step and Michigan's offense is a little bit more prolific, but we will see. They have a good tune-up game this first week with Western Michigan, which I'm sure we will get into as we go on. I just have one quick note over the weekend about Michigan transfers. So as Wally mentioned, Joe Billen was named the starter at Tennessee, but also Michigan transfers had a really good weekend statistically with Zach Charbonnet rushing for like 100-something yards in the first half and three touchdowns, didn't even play in the second half. And then, you know, low-key Oliver Martin had, I think, six receptions for a little over 100 yards. Just with the way college football is going, you know, that's always going to be stuff that we keep an eye on, you know, former transfer players going elsewhere. Just wanted to throw that out there because Michigan tends to underutilize a lot of their good talent, and I think Charbonnet, at least, was a very talented guy. But you just see that all the time in the pros, too. DPJ, guys like that, who really come out when they get to the pros. I just think that, you know, kind of shitting on Michigan's coaching staff right now. (laughs) You are right, though, because that does fall on coaching. You need to be able to utilize that talent. If you're bringing it in just to look on, what, be a wallflower, it doesn't do you any good. You have to see it on the football field as well. Then we'll go to our our recruiting update real quick with Casey and Hayden. I know last week was all but dead. Was it kind of more of the same, or did we have a little bit more action on the recruiting front this week? Football-wise, very dead. From what I can see, nobody committed. But we did have a pretty big week in basketball recruiting. I'm not sure if we mentioned this last episode, but Indiana landed five-star combo guard Jalen Hood Gosh, I don't know how do you pronounce it. Shelfino out of Florida. Five-star kid, really, really highly rated prospect. Northwestern landed a high four-star prospect, Rowan Brumbon, or Brumball, out of Massachusetts. He's a 6'4 point guard. And <laughs> Minnesota landed yet again another not-ranked prospect. Yeah, no lie. No way. That's terrible. Three now, yeah, right? Uh, yeah, that's yep, that's three. Josh Ola Joseph out of out of Minnesota. So that's basically it. That's a recruiting update for the week, unless Hayden has something else. Yeah, and I don't I don't know. Did we talk about Dylan Tatum last week on the show? I can't remember if we did. We did not. Okay. It was after. Yeah, just just real quick, and we don't have to touch on this a lot, but there is a kid out of West Bloomfield, which, you know, is in Michigan. This guy is he's listed as an athlete on 24/7. I don't know what he's actually going to play, but I just think it's interesting because he is a top 300 guy, but he has had like multiple crystal balls, which is 24/7's prediction thing coming to Michigan State over Michigan, which I I think is interesting because I think and I don't know if I want to call it a trend, but we're starting to see some movement I think with some in-state guys. And I guess I will call it a trend, maybe trending towards Michigan State. And I and I just think it's interesting with maybe a little uncertainty, go, uncertainty going on at Michigan and how that plays with in-state recruiting. I just thought it was something to note. So the guys that I, I listened to for Michigan recruiting, when Michigan had their big barbecue, they thought it was really critical that Michigan closes the deal on a few prospects. And Dylan Tatum was one of them. I didn't really, I don't remember why they said, but they were really concerned that if Michigan didn't close the deal that weekend, that they would start to lose momentum with him. 
Well, thank you guys yet again for the recruiting corner update. Yeah, we'll have to keep an eye, especially there's been a lot going on from the football side up there in Michigan with, I feel like, turf wars with players lately. Mel Tucker's made an impact, and I guess Michigan's job now is to respond. But what do you guys say now? This is what we really wanted to do since the very beginning of this show. We have a recap, and then we get to really dissect and jump in to the preview of Week 1. So let's start. I guess fortunately for Illinois fans or unfortunately for Nebraska fans, Illinois last week, how rare is it that Illinois-Nebraska is going to be on the national stage? Was kind of ugly for a while. Really was Big Ten football at its finest. Illinois wins the game 30-22. to Honestly, didn't feel that close much of that game. They jump up three scores in the second half. Adrian Martinez yet again doesn't look great. I, this is the problem with doing college podcasts. You hate to really dog on kids. But at what point does Nebraska have to make a change at the quarterback position? Because right now, for instance, this last week, a very modest 16 of 32 passing for 232 yards and a touchdown. And yeah, he added 111 yards on the ground, but 75 of those came on that touchdown run. When you watch this game, guys, what do you think has to be done at the quarterback position? And how long do you think Martinez... Is the guy taking snaps? I don't know who in the world Nebraska has as their backup quarterback. But, man, that dude's got to start getting some reps with the ones. Martinez missed throws that Hayden could make. No lie. If you watch that game, he missed a, a nice, easy rub route corner to the end zone, over through the guy. And I don't believe they ended up scoring on that drive, if I remember correctly. But, yeah, I mean, having a 50% completion percentage is way below average. And, I mean, the competition is only going to get stiffer after they, they probably get an easy win this weekend. But, yeah, I mean, they got to start weighing their options. That quarterback looking toward the future, I guess, because I don't think Adrian Martinez is it. Yeah, Casey, just to answer your question, I, I just looked this up because I had no idea. Nebraska's backup quarterback is a kid named Logan Smothers, who actually, he's not like a horribly rated recruit. He was in the number 313 overall recruit in the class of 2020. So, you know, not some slouch really, but I guess we don't really know what he has. But just to, to tag along with what Casey said, some of the throws that Martinez missed, on I mean, he at least missed on two touchdown throws. Like, open touchdown throws not like he was trying to fit it in a window like open and to compete with anybody really you have to have a quarterback to make those throws and if you don't unfortunately you lose to a team like Illinois and that's not I'm not trying to you know bring down Illinois or anything like that but that's just the result of poor to average quarterback play in college football And I do want to stay real quick with Nebraska just for a moment, but that defense wasn't awful by any stretch. I mean, we didn't really, I guess, have the opportunity. We'll get into Brandon Peters and that quarterback situation for Illinois in a second. But they just couldn't overcome that, I guess, predictability that turns into that Nebraska offense when you they completely lack a downfield threat right now. And until they can address that, I feel like they're just going to get picked apart by a lot of teams. And maybe you guys... I, I don't know. It reminds me a lot of that 3-9 and nine Michigan team with Rich Rodriguez, but the difference being 
was that Michigan had that confidence that better days were around the corner. This is the darkest day in Nebraska football history. And I don't know where you can find a silver lining and say, at least we can look to this because things are going to get better. I feel like Scott Frost's days are numbered. And even after that, I don't know how this team gets back to being even a possibility to get into the Big Ten West title picture. They feel forever away. Do we want to make a prediction on how long? Is he going to last throughout the season, Scott Frost? Is he is he going to get canned midseason or... I don't Gosh, know. Man. I don't know I, where to. I don't know where they go. You know, what I mean, they're they're stuck in a horrible place, and there's no, like Wally said, there's no site that is going to get better. If you're asking me that question, I think there's a date that stands out in my head, and it's that game where they go down and play Oklahoma, their former Big Twelve rival. I mean, I think when we did the preview a few weeks ago, the predicted spread was like twenty three and a half. I would be amazed if it's under 30 after watching how poorly they played this last week. And if they get destroyed by one of their most hated teams, maybe that's the unfortunate time where Trev Alberts is going to say, hey, dude, nothing personal, but we really need to go in a new direction and as soon as we possibly can. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, You know, and they play who Fordham this week, I believe. Do they have a game before the Oklahoma game too on the 11th? I don't have their schedule out in front of me, but I mean, shoot, if you, if you're talking a one and three start and you haven't even really gotten to the, the meat and bones of your big 10 schedule going into your fourth year, I can't imagine you, you make it out of this season. To answer your question, they play at home against Buffalo on September 11th, but Buffalo's by that's no means, alert. I was yeah, going to say they're by no means a slouch Mac team. Yeah. I, I think we said last, was it, I don't know, last week or the week before, I said that was a game Nebraska's going to lose. But I still believe that, especially after watching what the product they put out on Sat- or, yeah, Saturday wasn't good. But what I do want to do is I, I know we're spending a lot of time talking about Nebraska. I do want to give Illinois some credit because coming in with a new coach, changing up their scheme a little bit, and especially after their starting quarterback goes down, I don't know if that was the first quarter or the second quarter, but it was early-ish in that game. And for them to, you know, bounce back and still, you know, they were they were up by three scores in the third quarter. Like, the game wasn't necessarily close at that point. And so I just want to give a lot of credit to them and Brett Bielema for having his team ready to go. I thought Illinois' defense, outside of Martinez's big run, uh, you know, that 75-yard touchdown, I thought they were flying around and making plays, which was really – if I was an Illini fan, I'd be really, really encouraged after that performance. Yeah, I thought you saw a lot of comparisons to Brett Bielema while he was at Wisconsin, really. You know, when Peters went down, we haven't heard on that injury update, have we? It, it, I mean, when it when it first happened, I, it looked like a collarbone to me, like broken collarbone or something like that. But I wish him the best. I hope it's not. It felt like Art Sitkowski went in and just, you know, kind of managed the offense ground and pound, run the football. Their offensive line was pretty impressive to me. I don't know what they ended up running for, but there were times where they looked really good. And it just reminded me of, you know, Wisconsin football. And I think that you're right, Hayden. You know, Illinois fans should be encouraged by really the effort that they displayed on Saturday. I thought it was tremendous. I I was reading a little bit about Brandon Peters and his injury. And this was from a couple days ago. 
but Brad Bielema said that it, it doesn't appear to be season-ending, so they think he'll be back at some point this season, but they don't think he'll be able to play in their next game against... UTSA. University, UTSA, yeah, correct. So I think that's obviously good news for Illinois. They should be able to win that game without Brandon Peters, I would imagine. And to get him back, it, it looked a lot, I guess, worse than what it, it could have been. Yeah, it looked scary at first, but at least for their sake, you did get to see Arter Sikowski, however you pronounce that, come in. And he did manage the game, but he also wasn't turning the ball over. But the thing that was the biggest takeaway for me and something that is, I guess, so exciting if you're an Illinois fan is they look like they have a direction. They're so well coached compared to what we've seen. And that's surprising because I used to really like Lovey Smith, especially with the Bears, but you never felt like he had a control on that culture, like there was anything that could be salvaged long-term. And now it's got that reminiscent feeling of the Wisconsin days where you have a little bit of control of the clock. That opening drive in the second half was so textbook Brett Bielma that, I mean, there's a lot to be excited for, but I don't want to get too far ahead because this is a huge test to me this upcoming week. You win that big game on national television against Nebraska. You welcome in UTSA, a game that I guess is very easy to kind of be down for now, especially with UTSA being fully rested, no injuries. You just played. A poorly coached team loses that game. A Brett Bielma-led team, I think they're going to be able to get it done. We'll get more into that. But I I am kind of excited to keep an eye. It'll be like a sideways eye because that's when the big games are going on. But keep an eye on that UTSA game for sure. I think it's going to tell you how that team has improved on the coaching front. But what do you guys say now? We jump into some games that haven't happened, get into week one. Some awesome matchups this week. I'm ready to go undefeated in picks again this week. Yes, sir. (laughs) Well, then, perfect. Without further ado, we'll start with Temple going to visit Rutgers at 630 on Big Ten Network on Thursday. That's the game. If you're trying to wait for that Ohio State-Minnesota game, turn it on. You'll catch at least a half here. See how that Rutgers team looks. We'll start with the lines. Temple is entering that game as a 14.5-point road dog at Rutgers. The money line for Temple will be plus 470, while the over-under is set at 51.5. The over at minus 105, the under at minus 115. What do you guys say we give our picks real quick before we go into everything else? Let's do it. All right. Well, if one of you want to jump ahead, we'll go to Hayden first on this one. We'll jump back and forth. I'll ask Casey in the next game. All right. So I'll be honest. I don't know a ton about Temple, but if I was a betting man, which I am, I would take Temple plus 14 and a half. I think Rutgers will win this game, but I don't think they'll win by the over 14 points that requires them to cover. The money line... Is not appealing to me. Rutgers is too big of a favorite. I wouldn't touch that. And I definitely wouldn't take Temple outright. So, plus 14 and a half. The over under 51 and a half. I would take the over. I'm going Temple plus 14 and a half. And the over of 51 and a half. Alright Casey, we'll go to you now. What do you have for our line here of Rutgers minus 14 and a half? And how about that over under? Yeah, um, I didn't write any notes down. So, it's, it's kind of... Kind of like Hayden's reading my mind or something, because that's literally what I was going to say. I don't know a thing about Temple football. I do know a little bit about Rutgers football and and where their program is right now. 
and I, I agree with Hayden. While they are improving, while I do think they're going to win this game, I think 14 and a half against a typically tougher opponent for the AAC. I mean, they went 8-5 and five in 2019. I think that's a little too much, so I'm going to take Temple with the plus 14 and a half. And then I'm going to take the over as well. I feel like Rutgers is going to be popping really. And so that'll get the offense rolling early on. And I just think Temple will probably be able to score with them. And so I'm going with the over as well. All right. Well, perfect. Because I'm going to give a little bit of a Temple story for the people at home that also probably don't watch them too often. Rod Carey, he used to be the Northern Illinois Huskies head coach. I'm sure just a lot of people being in that Big Ten country might be familiar with the success he had during that tenure. But when he took over in 2019, Temple was a pretty good team. They had that stretch for about three or four years where they were towards the top of the AAC. He was 8-5, and five, but last year they had a huge falloff. Went 1-6 in 2020. Doesn't look like they're going to have that drastic of an improvement I do agree with you guys, though, that Temple is going to keep it closer than 14 and a half. I say they cover partly because those are really close, if you consider, too. These are schools that are only within a couple hours of one another, which, again, I think that little extra animosity might be able to keep it close. I do have the over as well, though. I have Rutgers coming out on top 35 to 27. So I also have Temple plus 14 and a half and the over. Just a couple of the injuries real quick, and I will do injuries first next time before picks. I'm realizing that on the fly, it makes more sense. Temple, Florida transfer running back, Iverson Clement. He's not been at preseason camp due to personal issues, so it doesn't look like he will be ready to play. And then Patrice Rene, the senior defensive back, North Carolina transfer. He had six starts last year, but it doesn't look like he will be playing much as well. To the big marquee game on Thursday night, the number four ranked Ohio State Buckeyes are traveling to Minneapolis to face the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Before we get into the lines, I'll just fill you guys in on a little bit of injuries going into the game. For the Buckeyes, Jalen Johnson, as you guys probably know, he's out for the year with an ACL tear. Marcus Hooker is out indefinitely due to suspension. And then Tyler Friday will not be there as well. Meanwhile, Minnesota... Chris Ottman-Bell, arguably the Gophers' top wide receiver, one of them, looked like he had a scary injury earlier in camp, but luckily for him, it looks to have been not that serious, so it looks like he will be probable for the game on Thursday night. Now, Ryan Day and P.J. Fleck have yet to face off against each other. P.J. Fleck has actually only played the Buckeyes one time, played the Buckeyes tight in that game in 2018, fell 30-14, to but it was closer than that. So let's get real quick right into the lines. The Buckeyes go on the road in our 13.5 point favorites. That comes in at minus 128. While the Gophers at plus 13.5 is plus 104. Money lines. If you did want to take these, the Buckeyes are minus 590. Again, as we mentioned, since it is a larger spread than 4.5 or 5.5, we won't be taking those on the show. If you did take the Golden Gophers, though, they're plus 410. Good value there. Now, the over-under is set at 64 and a half, the over being minus 112, the under minus 108. Casey, we're going to go to you first on this one. Who do you have covering this spread, and how about that over-under of 64 and a half? So the spread was kind of tough for me. I've been going back and forth. I do feel like Minnesota is going to come out hot. 
ready to roll that crowd it's going to be rocking and i could see him you know getting out to like a 14 to 7 14 to 10 lead and then as the game wears on ohio state's talent just kind of and coaching just kind of takes over they they pull away with it so with that being said i i'm gonna take ohio state minus 13 and a half i wouldn't be surprised if it ends up at 10 to 14 to 17 Ohio State scores a late touchdown in the fourth quarter to, to push it. Late touchdown puts Ohio State um, covering. Anyway, speaking of, uh, you know, not touching the money line, I, I'm going to go with the over as well. Wally, you posted your score here, 42-24. to 24. Sorry, I didn't mean, mean to steal your thunder or anything, but that just kind of is a similar score that I have in my head. I think Ohio State's defense is going to be able to shut down Minnesota's run game and force them to pass more in the second half, which – Oddly enough, in my opinion, is advantage Buckeyes with the pass rushers that they have and the talent that hopefully, you know, takes over in the secondary. So I'm going to go with over as well, and I could see that score being around around the same as yours, Wally. I'm going to start with the total in the game, and I don't think it was in our group chat, Casey, but a few weeks back, I think I was texting texting with Wally. I thought Vegas was absolutely crazy. For this over of you know the the total set at sixty four and a half, I thought it was really really high, and I was going to hammer the under. But as we've gotten closer to the game, I've had a big change of heart. I think I will take the over. One thing that does kind of scare me though is obviously Ohio State has a new quarterback, and I think it could take, especially you know being on the road. Minnesota should have a packed house. I, I think it could take a, a couple, a couple two three drives to really get going for the new quarterback. I think that that could be interesting, and you know, in terms of betting, two to three drives can really be a big swing of things. Another thing that scares me is I believe it's supposed to to rain really really hard in Minnesota on Thursday, so that could be another factor. But nonetheless, I, I'm still going to go with the over with the line. I have been going back and forth on this one for a while, and I still didn't really know what I was going to pick before really today, but I, I think I am going to take Ohio State with just being you know under 14 points. I think, like Casey said, they might score late. It could be like a 10-point game, and they score kind of late to, to cover. I don't know. I, I think Minnesota will be ready to go. But I just think over the course of the game, like Casey said, Ohio State's talent and, and physicalness up front, I think, will propel them to the cover. It all comes down to me, on terms of spread, how they jump out in the first drive for each team. You know Minnesota is going to be a... It's going to be rocking. That place is going to be crazy. Ohio State has that kind of effect where you're going to have a very raucous crowd when you're facing them. And the scary thing for me is, let's say Minnesota gets a quick stop in the game, and they do score, you don't want to have, I think Casey brought it up a couple weeks ago, but I think there's that outside chance. You don't want this to get out of hand and turn into a West Lafayette or an Iowa game where all of a sudden, because you started off slow, you give that other sideline that faith, the belief that they belong on the football field as you. Now, if Ohio State comes out early and jumps on them, I think this could get ugly. So that's how widespread this could be. I said 42-24. As Casey said, so I am taking the over. I think it's going to be a pretty good football game in the first half. Kind of reminiscent to that Indiana game a few years ago in Bloomington. Eventually, talent will out, though. 
So I do have Ohio State covering as well. Kind of want C.J. Stroud to make a couple mistakes in this game, if I'm being completely honest. I don't want him to go into that Oregon game without, I guess, that first critical poor decision, whether that be a turnover, whether it be a bad sack. I want him to be a little battle-tested, face a little adversity before that game next week. So I am hoping that there's a little bit of adversity, but we shall see. It's just crazy to think that by the time you guys are listening to this, Buckeye football's here. It's today, fellas. So that's great. But let's go on to our Friday matchup now. Michigan State is traveling to Northwestern, and I wasn't crazy. It was a 9 o'clock kickoff. That seems pretty late to be out here. Yeah, I guess it makes sense because that is a central time zone game. It is on ESPN. Now, just to give you some injury updates here before we get into our spreads and picking on this one. Michigan State... They have three guys that are at least questionable this week. Ricky White, the redshirt freshman wide receiver. Jacob Slade, the defensive tackle. And Adam Berghurst, the tight end, big body tight end too. I want to say 6'6", 6'7". Be interesting to see what they can do without him there. And then you go to Northwestern. Both sophomores here, Cam Porter, the running back, and Zachary Franks, the offensive lineman. They're both out for the year, so do not expect me to keep reading their names week in to week out. But they will not be here. Now, this has been an interesting couple of teams here in the matchups going on in the last five years. A lot of back and forth. And not necessarily seeing the better team always win, much like last year. Darkest day of Northwestern season while also being Michigan State's last year. Northwestern gets to host them now. And they are three and a half point favorites as it sits. Michigan State's line is coming in at minus 130, while Northwestern's is minus 104, which the money lines will be plus 134 for the Spartans, while being minus 164 for the Wildcats. Big 10 over-under total here for you guys. It's a 44.5, the over being 118, the under being minus 104. I guess we'll go back to Hayden here. Who do you have first? Are you going with Mel Tucker and the Spartans, or are you going with Pat Fitzgerald and his Wildcats? Yeah, I I think we, we've talked quite a bit about how much res- respect we have for Pat Fitzgerald as a football coach and how good we really think he is. And with them losing last year to Michigan State, I think that is a, a pretty big motivator for Northwestern here. So I, I'm going to take Northwestern minus the three three and a half points. I'm not going to touch the the Northwestern money line at all. The over this is this is truly a Big Ten over under like Wally said, and I'm gonna take the under forty four and a half is not very many points, but I could see this game being something like seventeen ten or twenty one seventeen or you know something like that. It's like your traditional nineteen nineties early two thousands Big Ten game, which I, I think the under will hit. Yeah, uh, I I completely agree with you, Hayden. Man, this line though is tricky because the first score that popped into my head when I saw this game was seventeen fourteen, right? And with Northwestern minus three and a half, I I should take Michigan State plus three and a half, but I could also see yeah twenty one seventeen also a score that I could see. I just don't have very much confidence in either either team's offense, but also you know traditionally these two teams are better defensively which will you know kind of neutralize the offenses a little bit so I'm definitely hammering the under 
You know what? I'll take Northwestern minus three and a half just because I feel like if I take the risk and I go Michigan State plus three and a half, then Northwestern is going to win by four. Just before I pick, it kind of surprised me, and maybe you guys would think so too. This was really bizarre when I started looking at their cross-division matchups here. They've played five straight seasons. That just I don't feel like you see that happen very often. Yeah, that's really, really strange. And, Wally, I know you haven't said your picks yet, but I'm looking at them right now on the screen. Through the first three games that we've previewed were literally all on the same picks, <laughs> which is kind of interesting, which means that we're all going to lose <laughs> because that's how, that's how Vegas works. You're absolutely right. And that 44 and a half, it's one of those that feels like a lot of points until you watch a Big Ten game on a Saturday. And all of a sudden, I'm like on the high end of this where I have the under, but I'm pushing it as close as I can. I have the Northwestern Wildcats win this game 24 to 20. So that's under by half a point and Northwestern covers by half a point. Going to be a gross one. Now, because it is four and a half, this was a weird cutoff. Do we want to say that we're doing money lines beyond four? Like up to, I couldn't remember if we said up to five, up to six, how we want to do that. But if we do have that, I would take Northwestern money line, obviously, as well. But one thing that, you know, just kind of cracks me up a lot of people, and we didn't mention this when we were talking about the Illinois Nebraska game, a lot of people were hurt very, very much by the two missed PATs by uh, Nebraska in that game, uh, potentially. Depending on where where you got the line, that could have been the over. So that one that you know, while he's teetering right here on that that half point, it always makes me a little leery that you never know what uh, college kickers are gonna do. Yeah, I'm really happy that we had 54 and a half because if it came down to me not going three and zero by a half a point because of you, I would have been disgusted with that kicker. But luckily, it was 54 and a half, so it was no big deal, no harm, no foul. But we will go now to what. I guess some would argue is the biggest game in the Big Ten schedule this weekend, depending, maybe you could argue Iowa, Indiana. But number 19, Penn State is traveling to Camp Randall, the number 12, Wisconsin Badgers. That's the big noon game on Fox, which is a little bit of a bummer. But nonetheless, this Wisconsin team's coming in more banged up than any other team realistically in the Big Ten. Quite a few starters at least hobbled here to start. We'll start with Penn State, though. Their only listed injury guy on their report is Charlie Catchier, the linebacker. He is questionable with an undisclosed illness, so we'll see if he is available. But then Wisconsin, you're looking at four or five starters or guys that play significant minutes. Danny Davis the third. he had another what looked to be concussion early in camp. Many Badger fans will remember he was sidelined with a really bad concussion late last year that kind of... Took him out the rest of the season. Then Kendrick Pryor also dealing with a concussion who is also questionable Saturday. Keanu Benton, the nose tackle, questionable with an ankle. Joe Tipman, questionable with an arm. Logan Brown, questionable with a hand. Jalen Berger, questionable with a leg. Al Ashford is out for the season, and so is Cole Dakovich. So I will not be talking about those guys going forward. Now, before I give you the lines, these two teams have played 19 times always, about as close as you can be. 10 to 9, going into Penn State direction. Penn State has a four-game win streak, too. In Franklin, fun note here, he's 2-0 in the Franklin-Christ rivalry to this point. Now, the Nittany Lions do go to Camp Randall as a 5.5-point road dog. 
with minus 106 on that number. The Badgers at minus 5.5 with minus 114. The money line, Penn State is plus 184, while the Badgers are minus 230. The over-under kind of surprised me, felt a little high, is 50 and a half, the over being minus 106, the under being 114. Casey, we'll go to you first on this one. Who's covering this game and who's going to come out on top? Man, what I mean, what a great start to the season this is. Penn State at Wisconsin, both teams coming in with pretty high expectations. I think I'm going to roll with Penn State plus five and a half. The game being at Camp Randall obviously plays a lot, especially early on, first time with fans. But I just think Penn State truly is the second most talented team in the Big Ten. And so I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go with Penn State plus five and a half. I'm not sure if I'm going to go with them outright. So I'm not going to take anybody on the money line, but I'm going to take the over. I think this is set kind of low. I think high expectations uh, of Graham Mertz being the first Wisconsin quarterback to really take them to the next level. And then I, I just, I think I expect more from Sean Clifford this year. He's an experienced guy. And I think that, He'll be able to lead Penn State to scoring some points. So I, I could see this game being like 30, 34, 31 game-winning field goal, but I, I can't really tell you who's kicking that game-winning field goal to win the game. I know that you said you're not picking money line, but just for the sake of uh, argument, if you had to pick a game, this won't go in your betting stats. Who wins this game, Casey? Oh, gosh. I just... <laughs> I just said a game-winning field goal is what I'm predicting. Oh, man. I'll play it safe, and I'll go Wisconsin. Gets the game-winning field goal. Ends up winning by three points, but Penn State does cover that five and a half. Wow, that would be an awesome way to start the Big Ten season. Hayden, we're going to go to you now. Who covers the spread? Who wins? And how about that over-under of 50 and a half? Like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm super, super excited about this game like I literally cannot wait to watch it just because it has it has so much so many implications in how the Big Ten is going to go it affects the West race because we look at you know Wisconsin and Iowa and if Wisconsin starts the season with a loss that's huge for Iowa especially when you know it comes to the head head to head later and then Penn State you know if they can win that game it gives them great confidence boost to start the season especially after how last year went to me this line is absurd in in one direction and I, and I can't believe it's this large I thought it would be much smaller no matter which way it went I'm gonna hammer Penn State plus five and a half like absolutely hammer it I think I think there's a chance they win this game outright like I think there's a very real chance and I'm not gonna bet on the money line just because it's they're on the road but there's a very real chance, like Casey said, that this game comes down to something at the end here. And I, I really think Penn State can get it done. With the total set at 50 and a half, I think that's probably around right. I think that's that's pretty close. But I would take the over. I think I'm with Casey here. I'd take the over Penn State plus five and a half. But I, I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Like, I'm I'm super excited for this one. Yeah, excluding the Ohio State-Minnesota game, I think that without question, this is the game I'm most looking forward to. And then the fun aspect of you finish this game and you jump into that Iowa-Indiana game, it's going to be a great Saturday to open up the Big Ten slate. 
One thing I will say, though, I am taking the Badgers minus five and a half, but this isn't a, I think they're going to kind of blow the doors off and control this game throughout. I think it's going to be one of those situations where they might score a touchdown with four or five minutes left in the game, maybe coming out of a tie. So I have the score being 24 to 17, which means I do have the under as well. I do think both these defenses are going to give Graham Mertz and Sean Clifford fits early on, especially, like you said, with the fans being back. I think you're going to have some nerves. You're going to have some guys maybe overthrow a few balls. I think it's going to be a great watch. It's going to be a very old-school Big Ten-style game. But Wisconsin comes out on top. They do win this game by a touchdown. It is 24-17. It'll definitely be the game we have our eyes set to at noon on Saturday. I know you guys will also be in that same position as us. Should be a great one. Now we'll go to one that probably won't be as close at noon on Saturday. Western Michigan faces in-state, wouldn't call them a rival, but in-state opponent, the Michigan Wolverines at the Big House. Michigan doesn't have any injuries listed. Doesn't necessarily mean guys aren't banged up, but they're just not on the report. Western Michigan only has one guy, starting tight end Brett Borski, 6'7", tight end. He is questionable Saturday with an undisclosed injury. So don't worry too much about that front on who is banged up and who isn't. Matchup history here. Michigan's played them seven times. Played them five times since 2000. They have not won by a score of fewer than three. I probably expect it to be much of the same, and so does Vegas. As Michigan is set at minus 16.5, which is coming in at minus 114. Western Michigan is the 16.5 point dog coming in at minus 106. If you were betting Michigan straight up, they are minus 950. Doubt anybody out there would find the value in that. Then the Broncos are plus 570. A high over under here. Obviously, Vegas expected Michigan to be able to score pretty much at will on Saturday. It is being a 67 and a half point over under. Casey, we'll go to you first. As a guy who is a former Michigan Wolverine fan, how do you think they open the season? Is this going to be an opportunity, like we said earlier, where Cade McNamara, McNamara I'm going to get that. Are we going to see Cade McNamara come out and look good early? How is this team going to look? And I guess what? Cover and over. Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that Michigan is going to come out and roll over Western Michigan. So I'm going to take Michigan minus, what is it, 16 and a half. Yeah, I, I, I think that goes, I think they cover easily. The over-under set at 67 and a half, I'm actually going to go under. Um, I think the score is going to be around the 38 to 10, 38 to 13 type of game, right? That's still, yeah, that's way under. I, I just can't see Western Michigan really being able to move the ball. I know that kind of sounds crazy with how we saw Michigan's defense play last year. I think they return to a little bit of their form that they were in the past and are able to beat up on Mac teams again. I don't think we see anything impressive out of Michigan. I think they're just going to, you know, handle their business, win by four touchdowns or so, and then get ready for a big game next week. But I did want to mention one thing. So I did see today that Nikhil Hill-Green, who was a decent Pretty decent recruit, four-star guy from Michigan. He's a linebacker. He did overtake Michael Barrett for the starting will position today. I thought that was interesting because Michael Barrett, you know, played decent for Michigan last year, especially that Minnesota game. You know, fourth-year player, returning starter, just lost his job. So, you know, I think that's an encouraging sign that Michigan has younger guys finally stepping in and taking over roles. Michael Barrett's a five foot ten inch, two hundred pound linebacker. 
just not in the position where he needs to play. Anyway, getting off topic here. So taking Michigan minus 16 and a half and the under. Hayden, how about you? Who do you think you got here in this game? And I should have asked, so Casey, we'll have you answer again after Hayden. When do we see JJ? Do we see him in this game? Shoot, man. I don't I why do you put me on the spot like that? I I really don't know. I I'll st- I'll go with my picks here. I I think Michigan will cover in this game. And if they don't, there should be sirens going off in Ann Arbor because something is horribly, horribly wrong. This is a game they need to come out, and they really need to set the tone and dominate from the start, which I do think they will win. Before I even looked at the the total, I was like, I'm going to bet the over no matter what it is, and I don't care because I, I've watched the way Michigan's defense looked last year. It seems like they're changing their scheme a little bit. Adding in some new players, which, like Casey said, I, I do think is encouraging for them. But, you know, it, it is first game of the year, so little jitters, maybe a little nerves. So I, I think Western Michigan will score, and I think Michigan can will score a bunch of points. But then I looked at the total, and it was 67.5, and, and I thought, holy moly, there's no way that I can take the over. I mean, that's a, that's a ton of points. And I, I don't think they'll quite get to that. So if it was anything under that, trust me, I would have hammered it. But with it being 67 and a half, I can't. So I'm taking the under. Yeah, a hitting the over in a situation like this, I think it would require Michigan scoring in the 50s. And I just don't know, again, how much they're going to want to show. I like that Casey said that too. If you're up three or four scores in the second half, I don't think you're going to have that pressure or that need to be as high tempo and get to the point to cover the over. So I do have the under. I think Michigan wins easily. Western Michigan might score late to make it look a little closer, but I have the score being 45-20. to 20. I don't think there's too much on Saturday that Michigan's going to sit there. There's not going to be that moment of fear. You know when sometimes early in the year when you play a MAC team, at the end of the first quarter, the game might be 10-7 or 7-7. I don't even think it's like that. I think Michigan kind of shows their muscle throughout this game. Western Michigan's just not been the same ever since P.J. Fleck has left. And I think so. sometimes with the, the betters out there, you see, I guess, that handicap a little bit in that direction. So I think Michigan wins, and they win big. Just one quick point, because I just looked up Western Michigan a little bit of stats on them. They actually are returning their starting quarterback from last year who completed almost 65% of his passes and had a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 18-2. to so that's that's very interesting. I did not know that. I just kind of assumed Western Michigan didn't really have the horses. But for a Michigan ah, secondary, the horses. Ah, I Sorry, gotcha. uh, that didn't was a bad the joke. Broncos. Yeah, <laughs> that's very interesting because Michigan secondary was, I think, by far their worst position unit on the team last year. Um, and so you know, I I hope they get tested. I hope to see them get tested and they look decent just so that they have a little bit of confidence going into what I think is their biggest game of the season next week. But just wanted to throw that out there for us. Now, I forgot almost to ask real quick. We'll keep it short. Does JJ McCarthy play on Saturday? I think Cade McNamara, JJ McCarthy and Alan Bowman all play on Saturday. Maybe late at the two, three o'clock hour, you flip over. If you have two TVs while you're watching that Wisconsin game, check out what the kid can do. Now, this next game, we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. It is Fordham going to Nebraska. There's not a line because, first of all, 
Yeah, actually, you ready for this line? I just found it. I've been researching ever since we got to this. What you, site is it? It's it's unbelievable. It's called theactionnetwork.com, and the spread is set at 41 and a half. I don't know about you guys, but I would not touch Nebraska at all <laughs> with that kind of line. I mean, that's unbelievable. The, the craziest thing, this is the craziest thing, and we still don't have to pick this game because the spread is so large. Nebraska is minus 115,000 on the money line, which is absolutely absurd, which means Fordham is plus 23,000 on the money line. You sprinkle a dollar, you sprinkle a dollar on that, you're making some good coin, which, I mean, if you watched Nebraska last week, you never know how that will go. I I would throw $10 on there and just say, screw it, if it hits and be a big Fordham fan, but... That's how unconfident I am in Nebraska, too, just because they did look terrible last week. Yeah, no, it was ugly. And you won't find, I guess I should have said, at the big, credible sports books in the world, they don't have lines like this because there is so much variability and unknown. They don't like to tiptoe in the water there. Fordham, they, I couldn't even find an injury report for them. They Typically, it's not as transparent as you get to see at the higher levels of this. Same names as you saw last week for Nebraska, Casey Rogers, Travis Vokalek, and Thomas Fedone and Will Hannes. All of those are going to be out yet again, or at least questionable. It's not going to be a game that it's going to be very easy to watch. I don't care who you are. If you're a Nebraska fan, I guess, really cherish this game because it's probably one of the few surefire wins you will see this season. If you guys have anything you want to say for this game, or are you good to roll along? Yeah, uh, Nebraska should win. Important game. Not even going to watch it. Nothing. Perfect. Well, then we will move on to arguably the second best game on the slate. You could make a case the best. The number 17 Indiana Hoosiers are traveling to Iowa. The number 18 ranked Hawkeyes at 330. What stunned me is this game is on Big Ten Network. I was stunned that you could not find an ESPN or ABC, Fox, what have you to have it. I guess this is probably going to be one this of the bigger like slots. This feels like a true BTN game. A true BTN game. This feels like the ultimate the ultimate grinder. Yeah, and I guess we will see. I'll give you a real quick. Injuries, no, Iowa doesn't have any listed. And Indiana, it's a backup quarterback. Dexter Williams is second. So nothing too much there. What I will say is these two teams have not played since 2018. Iowa won that matchup 42-16. to But that was not the same Indiana Hoosiers team that you get to see today. Only meeting between Kirk Ferentz and Tom Allen was that day. But like I was just saying, Indiana has taken leaps and bounds since then. Indiana is a three and a half point road dog, though. Money's coming in on them, though. They're minus 118. Iowa, three and a half point home favorite at minus 104. If you were going to take the money line in this game, Indiana is plus 146, while Iowa is minus 184. Over under, yet again, the Big Ten special 44 and a half over is minus 115, under is minus 105. Whichever one of you wants to jump first, who's winning the game, who's covering it, and do we see more than 44 and a half points? I definitely think that we see more than 44 and a half points. I thought I, I thought that was a typo that you had in there. I could see this, both teams getting into the 30s. I really hope that Indiana's offense looks similar to what they were last year with Penix coming back. Hopefully he recovers well from that injury. But I could see this game being some high scoring because, you know, my Iowa Hawkeyes 
they they can put up some points. <laughs> I'm I'm rolling with Iowa minus three and a half though. I could see them winning by a touchdown at home, and then I'm obviously rolling with the over as well. I think I'm going to be the lone wolf here, and I am going to go on the limb and say Indiana gets the job done and comes out. Man, do I want to predict the outright win? Do I want to do it, Wally? If you're taking three and a half, I'm feeling that outright, baby. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with Indiana on the money line here. I, I think Indiana's offense is going to be good enough to score some points. And I, and I always think that Tom Allen does a good job, you know, working with whoever is calling their defense to bring, you know, disguises and, and exotic blitzes that, that teams don't see very much. And I think especially week one, that can be really confusing for teams. And I know Iowa is a, a really good coach team, and they're solid, and I'm sure they'll be prepared. But Tom Allen, I think, has some magic. And I, I think he's going to work that this weekend. So, Indiana plus three and a half. Indiana on the money line. And I'm going to take the over of 44 and a half. I don't know what it is about this Iowa team. I think they're going to give Indiana a lot of fits on Saturday. I don't think that this, when I make this pick, I want it to be clear. This isn't a, I think Indiana is going to regress all the way to what we've seen them be in the past. This is more of a testament to how difficult it is to play in that town, in that stadium, especially against a well-coached team like Iowa right now. I think that Iowa's going to win, and win somewhat comfortably. I take the over as well, but I have them covering the three and a half. I think they win 31-16. to I think you got to give Penix Jr. a little bit more time to get comfortable again. He did lose a key piece to that offense last year, and I think that Iowa's going to be able to at least stifled that offense quite a bit. And you know how ugly these Iowa games early in the year are. I think Iowa's going to win the time of possession 35 to 40 minutes and not really give Penix Jr. an opportunity to really get going in this game. Hawkeyes 31, Hoosier 16. Now let's keep it rolling now. You got the West Virginia Mountaineers traveling to Maryland to face the Terrapins at 3.30. This is on ESPN. That's amazing. This is on ESPN and Indiana and Iowa isn't. That has to be something to do with the TV deals. It's the only thing that makes sense. West Virginia is a two and a half point favorite. Money is coming in on them. They're minus 115. Maryland plus two and a half at minus 105. The money lines, the Mountaineers are minus 144, while the Terrapins are plus 118. The over-under is at 57 and a half, and that is an even minus 110 for both. I'm going to go to Casey this time first. Who do you have covering? It's a close spread, so basically if you have them covering, likely you'll have that team winning. Who comes out on top on Saturday? This might be a little Big Ten homer in me, but I'm going to rock with Maryland. I think Maryland being at home with a with a returning quarterback coming in, they're going to have, I mean, I, I just expect every home team to have a packed house. First time in over a year that we're we're able to have fans. I just think that all all the fans are going to be crazy and home field is really going to be an advantage for this week one. So I'm rolling with Maryland plus two and a half and I'm going to take the over to West Virginia is typically a team that scores a lot of points and I just I think Maryland matches them and ends up winning the game by about a field goal to a touchdown as well. So are you also taking the money line or do you not want to bet that? 
Yeah, sure. Give me Maryland money line as well. Perfect. So this is where I start to separate myself. This is where I start building on my early, early season lead. I'm not high on Maryland. I think they have some pieces, but it's it's just not there yet. And I think West Virginia will come in and score gobs of points. So I'm going to take West Virginia minus two and a half. Uh, I think they get the job done. I'm not going to touch the the money line at all, but I'll I'll give the two and a half the two and a half points to Maryland there. The total at fifty seven and a half is tough. I think both teams will score, which tends to lead me to the over. So I am not as high on uh, the Big Ten. I, I not necessarily the Big Ten, but Maryland, I guess, as either of you two are. I should have mentioned the only guy that is listed out for both teams. You have Mike O'Laughlin for West Virginia to tight end, and then you have Penny Boone, the Maryland running back. Not a lot going on there. The reason I'm going with Maryland into plus two and a half, and I'm taking Maryland money line is we have seen Maryland over the last few years play Big 12 teams early in the season, put up a lot of points, and for whatever reason, shock the Big 12 teams with their speed. Not something that we would used to be able to say about Big 10 teams playing out of conference, but I think it's going to be more of the same. I think you're going to see Talia Tagovailoa have a very good game early in the year. I think they're going to be able to score. I think the over is going to hit, and I have it hitting by 9.5 points. The final score of this game is going to be 35-32. Terrapins, I think they keep that little bit of a streak against the Big 12 alive. And I just wanted to share with you guys real quick one fun little, I guess, fact here about this rivalry between these two, or matchup, I should say. They've played each other 52 times. That sounds like an, a crazy number when you consider the fact they've only ever been in the same conference for two years. They had 50 other matchups when these two teams have not played in the same conference, you do not see that very often. I just thought I'd share that That's fun incredible. little fact. Isn't that crazy? Just bizarre, really. Yeah, I was shocked. The only time was in 1950 and 1951 in the Southeastern Conference. And, oh, wait, not even the Southeastern Conference. It was the Southern Conference. That was back with, what, SMU and those guys. And they had teams all over the freaking world that were playing together. But we will go into one of our final games here. First of our night games, though. Purdue is traveling to Corvallis to face the Oregon State Beavers. That is on FS1. These teams have only ever played one time, and that was back all the way in the 60s. Purdue doesn't have any injuries to report, and Oregon State only has their backup quarterback, Tristan Gabia, I think it's his name. He's out. So really, this is a straight-up matchup. What you see is what you get. Purdue is listed, and this was surprising to me, at minus 7.5. And reflected by that, the money is coming in heavily on Oregon State. Purdue's plus 100 at 7.5. Oregon State's plus 7.5 is minus 122. Money lines for the game. Purdue is minus 265. And the Oregon State Beavers are at plus 210. High over under here, 67.5. Hayden, we will go to you first. Who wins the game? Who covers? And that's another really big over under. Tied for the highest of the week for us. Do they get there? Lord, this is one of those games where this makes gambling fun, I, I guess, maybe. I don't know. I, I, I really have no freaking clue <laughs> about either of these, you know, either of these two teams. I think seven and a half is kind of large. I think it's bigger than what I guess I would have anticipated. 
So, with saying that, I, I think I would, or I am going to take Oregon State plus the seven and a half points. Like I said, I think I think that's a little big. The total, I mean, that's a ton. And I don't know. Man, that that's tough. I, I think that's a little too much. I To answer Wally's question, no. I don't think that they are going to be able to reach that. So I'm going to take Oregon State plus a seven and a half and the under of 67 and a half. Yeah, so this is a really interesting game in my eyes as well. I think that I just have a little bit more faith in Purdue's talent with David Bell coming back on offense. You know, George Carl Loftus on defense is going to, is probably going to be the best player on the field. Oregon State is breaking in a new quarterback. They looked bad last year at times, but they also handed Oregon a loss. I mean, take that with what you will. That is a rivalry game. They probably won't be as up for this game. I just would assume. So give me Purdue minus seven and a half. I think they could win this game by about 10 points. And, uh, you know, really, in my opinion, I think Jeff Brom is coaching for his job, too. So I think there's a little bit more fire under him in this game as well. The over in over under 67 and a half. Wow, that's tough. I do think both teams will score some points. Give me I'm going to take I'm going to take the under though. I'm going to take the under. I'm actually going to roll with Oregon State plus seven and a half and getting the win outright at home. My reasoning for this, this game reminds me a lot of the Purdue. I want to say it was Nevada a couple years ago where they go out. They're a touchdown and a half favorites on the road, lose outright to Nevada. It's just like we were talking earlier. This is the first game back with fans in the stands. They're going across country. I think Oregon State's going to be rocking that night. Corvallis, when they have any kind of fans there, is typically a very fun atmosphere to watch a college football game. If Purdue struggles early in this game, I think they're going to be on their heels the entire time. I think that that grad senior quarterback from Colorado... I think he gets it done for the Beavers. I'm taking them out right. I have them hitting the over. So the game is actually going to be 38-34. to 34. Take the Beavers. Take them in the upset. And we're going high. Now let's get to our... Not so fast, my friend. Exactly. I'll be <laughs> I shaking. <laughs> I, just, I, I just wanted to do that. Not so fast, my friend. <laughs> now let's go to our last game of the week here for the Big Ten slate anyways. You have the UTSA, that's the Texas San Antonio Roadrunners, are going to Illinois. Potential that we could see Illinois 2-0, leader of the Big Ten for a second straight week? We'll see. Now, these two teams, they've never played. UTSA is a very young team at the FBS level. Illinois, though, you want to talk about a team that's already banged up, only rivaled by Wisconsin right now with the injuries that they have. You have starting wide receiver Brian Hightower, Starting quarterback Brandon Peters, starting running back Chase Brown, all out in this game. Also, role players that also get in quite a bit. You have Marquez Beeson, Jamal Woods, Roderick Perry II, Calvin Hart Jr., Jafar Armstrong, and Jordan Slaughter, all out or questionable in this game. All while UTSA comes in allegedly completely healthy. Let's get right into the numbers here. The Roadrunners are six and a half point road favorites, but the money is coming in on them. That's paying off minus 114 right now. By Illinois, minus six and a half is minus 106. You took the Roadrunners outright. It's going to be plus 198. Illinois outright, a minus 250. Over under at 50 and a half. 
So what I will ask you boys now, does Brett Bielma get it done and avoid the trap game, or do they fall victim to the Roadrunners? Yes, Brett Bielema is going to get it done. This worries me just a little bit because, of you know, not that beating Nebraska is huge, but for Illinois, that's a pretty big win, especially coming off the season opener. I don't think Illinois is going to have a letdown, and I, I, it's going to be interesting. We're going to have Illinois be 2-0 and and leading the conference after this game, which is kind of amazing to see. So I'm taking Illinois minus the 6.5. Brett being and the boys get the job done. I am going to take the under. I was I was really encouraged by Illinois' defense last week, and, and you know they were flying around and making plays and causing turnovers. And this is my take, and, and the reason the over is not going to hit this week is because Illinois will not score a defensive touchdown this week, which will obviously affect the total in the game. So under and Illinois minus six and a half. I'm actually going to take UTSA plus six and a half. I do think Illinois will win the game outright, but I just think that their offense changed a little bit when Peters went down. Like I mentioned earlier, I thought that Sidkowski just really kind of managed it. There wasn't any explosiveness, although he was three or three for 78 yards. And I think two touchdowns, both those touchdowns were down the field. It just the offense just looked different. They looked like they were ground and pound, very limited in the passing game. So I could see I could see this game being a. I mean, I feel like I've been saying this all all episode here, uh, a field goal game. But I do ultimately think that Illinois pulls it out. So I'm going to take UTSA plus six and a half, and I'm going with the under. This was a weird one when I was sitting down watching. I truly had the feeling that either Illinois is going to lose this game outright or show that they have a little bit of muscle and win by a couple scores. And I went with the latter. I'm going to take Illinois to win this game 31-13, to which does hit the under. But I do think that you're going to see yet again that Bielma-style offense really control time of possession. They do have the size advantage in this game. I think you're going to see quite a few, maybe two or three, seven, eight play drives beyond that. Illinois, because of that, they win this game. They cover the six and a half. And all of a sudden, all the shit that I was talking preseason, I have to kind of walk it back a little and start at least respecting these matte orange helmet goons over there in Champaign, Illinois. But that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We will be back next week to break down the week one games. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at P and N pod, Facebook at P and N pod and Instagram also at P&NPod. This is fun, too, because this is the week we're going to start doing two episodes, guys. We're going to record on Sunday morning. This week, it might be out Sunday night, but with the NFL, I have to be keeping an eye on that for my other podcasts as well. So they'll typically probably come out Monday morning, Monday afternoon, and then you'll have your second one come out right before the weekend slate with previews. Do you fellas have any final thoughts? Yeah, I have a couple couple final thoughts here. Hayden, I see at recruits underscore CFB tweeted and said that Jeremy Birmingham said that since the Buckeyes lost Quinn Ewers in the 2022 class, obviously he enrolled in the 2021 class, that it is, quote, Drew Aller or bust for the Scarlet and Gray. Have you heard anything about that? We kind of mentioned that a little bit ago, a couple episodes back, but didn't know if you heard anything about it. I have not. 
I think obviously he is uh, good enough to play at Ohio State. He's, he's a quality recruit. But what, I've read a couple things about him, and it, and it sounds like he's pretty solid to Penn State. So that would be really interesting. This is literally the first that I've heard of it. So, yeah, I don't know. Kind of, I mean, not surprising really, but just interesting. Okay. Yep. Just wanted to hear your thought. But I kind of want to close out on this feel-good story that I heard today. Greg Oden has accepted a position as the GA at Ohio State. Obviously, we know his background at Ohio State and then the injuries that derailed him to what, you know, we everyone would have thought would be a pretty darn good professional career. He is back at Ohio State as a grad assistant. I'm pretty sure he had a role on their team last year or two years ago, but Good to see that Greg Oden is getting back into the basketball world or, or staying in the basketball world. And interesting fact, he is enrolling in the master's in sport coaching program that I just graduated from. Kudos to him. Oh, and I'm really excited to see you guys this weekend. Yeah, my my final thought was, was nothing uh, crazy, but a little sappy, I guess. I, I am really, really excited to hang out with you guys this weekend, like, I don't know. I've probably it's this is weird. I probably thought of it. Are you like, crying? Yeah, like I literally have tears coming down my in my cheeks. I've thought I, I've literally been thinking about this since Monday, like on just how fun this weekend is going to be and how much beer I'm going to drink this weekend uh, and how much fun I'm going to have watching all these games. So I'm really really excited. We're fired up too. The idea of watching three nights of football in a row, including getting to watch you get to coach a little bit. It does kind of make you feel a little sappy. I mean, we're we're getting older, so not being able to see each other as often as we used to is tough. So it makes these weekends extra special when we get to do it. So I am really excited to see you fellas. Not as excited as Quinn yours is, though. He signed another deal, another NIL sponsorship. He's making $1.4 million over the next three years just to sign his name over and over again. So credit to him. We're going to see a lot more things like that. But outside of that, like you said, looking forward to it, fellas. It's going to be a lot of fun. But thank you guys for listening. We'll see you back here next week, early next week, for episode 19 of Pigskins and Nylon.